Today we have Lauren from the Two Mom Browns, and she is going to tell us so many things. And I know that you've probably heard lots of information about donor conception for lesbian parents, but this is a lot more than you might have heard before. It's about racism. It's about how she decided to have her two children, how the two of them work things out, no matter what it is, and how they decided who's going to carry, who's going to use their their eggs. There's so much interesting information that is really not out there anywhere else. So listen to Lauren as she tells you her story, and I think you'll really like it. And of course, feel free to reach out to me anytime. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family, or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I have learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. Hi, everyone. I'm here to introduce you to Lauren from the Two Mom Browns. She is a superstar with her wife, Amanda, who might join us later. We'll see. But the two of them are a wonderful couple. I will let her talk a little bit about her experience. But you can find her on Instagram. And she is a woman who's part of a lesbian biracial couple. And she's a therapist at the same time. She's got multiple hats that she wears, which she can share with you. And she's a mom with two boys who she experienced birthing through reciprocal IVF. So she will tell you a little bit about that and the choices that she made along the way. So thanks for joining, Lauren. I'm so happy to see you. Hi, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to be here. We we, we just love you and the Thank work that you. you do. So this is a Thank huge you. honor. <laughs> Thank you so much. So can you tell us a little bit more? I gave you a little bit of an introduction, a little bit more about the work that you do maybe in your practice, but also on Instagram because you're a big presence on social media and you and your wife have shared so much and have helped so many people on their family building journeys. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about what kind of caused you to want to share all this information. Sure. No, that's, that's, um, that's really nice. And, and, you know, I'll just kind of focus on, on social media part. We honestly joined, opened, and un- deprivatized our fa- our Instagram account. It started as my Instagram account because we really found a community within the reciprocal IVF world on Instagram back when we were trying to conceive. Uh, we did not discuss our trying to conceive journey openly with our first child, but we did find a lot of solidarity in watching other couples who are re- undergoing reciprocal IVF at that time. We experienced a loss of our twin, identical mm. twin boys before we had I'm our so son. Sorry. Yeah, th- thank you. It was it was a really awful thing to experience, but I think that we found so much, I'll say it again, solidarity, you know, through this 
online community. And part of deprivatizing Instagram had to do with feeling like we want to be visible here, you know, and, and not only in, in family building, but as an interracial lesbian couple, you know, we didn't see any other couples that looked like us out there. I know mm-hmm. that they're, you know, that they're, if you're listening, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. But we really just wanted to be there just feeling like if we had seen us growing up or if we had seen, you know, right. obviously couples like us growing up that we would have known what is actually possible. And so that's that's how it started. And we had, you know, I, th- I think I had like what, like f- five or six hundred followers when I opened the account. And then, you know, it's just kind of it was still my account Then we expanded to a family account. And now I just feel yeah, just so lucky and and grateful to be a part of this world, to be present on on Instagram. That's wonderful. That's great. (laughs) Well, can you kind of take us through it? I know a lot of your followers know a lot about you, but for the audience, there may be a lot of people who don't really know a lot about your story. Can we start with, since this is a podcast specifically about donor conception, with how you started your journey, how you started to think about I want to move forward with fertility treatment. We want to pursue this. We want to pursue reciprocal IVF. We want to be able to have a baby. How did you decide on that? How did you decide on your donor? How did you decide who was going to carry all of those things? All the fun stuff. Yeah, we started talking about kids very early on in our relationship. I think that we, I mean, we're just dating. I had always wanted to carry it, always wanted to be a mom. I dreamed of just having, you know, a host of children when I was little. And that was a dream of mine. And Amanda had always wanted to have kids or had biological kids, but she could never imagine herself pregnant. And not that she wouldn't be pregnant. Like I remember her saying, like, I just never quite knew how this is going to work until we met because what we ended up just deciding. And, and I think, you know, I've shared this before on our, on our social that it's, it's kind of silly, but we thought that we just came up with this. Like nobody had come up with this idea before that, like, oh, we would use her eggs and that I would carry, you know, we now know that it's called reciprocal IVF. We think it's, you know, we laugh about it now. It's kind of silly that we just (laughs) thought that we invented this thing that had never been done before. And I think Amanda felt relief in that, you know, not really having to to be pregnant. Although she said that if things didn't work out, that she would be open to carrying. But I know that she's she's been grateful that it has worked out that way. So, anyways, yeah, we we um, got married in 2018, and then we immediately started looking into. We had already researched area uh, fertility clinics. We had narrowed in on the clinic that we wanted to, and we waited until we met with the physicians there at the clinic to decide how to pursue donor sperm. And I'm glad that we did because our clinic had said, you know, we only work with three cryobanks and they listed those three for us. Um, and they didn't work with private donors either. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason to it. Um, it was the second sperm bank that we looked at where we found our donor. So what we were looking for, since we were using Amanda's eggs, uh, we were looking for a donor who really kind of profiled to my features. So had, well, so my hair doesn't look curly right now because my children took away all my curl. (laughs) 
hormones are crazy, but <laughs> somebody who had curly hair, wavy hair, you know, my hair used to be very curly, um, light colored eyes or, you know, kind of greenish eyes, olive skin. And somebody who did have uh, like a similar personality profile or similar career, we really wanted to make sure that. That you're both reflected in some way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and I think, you know, it's enough to to choose, you know, you get to choose a donor. Like you get to like choose the genetics of your kids. It's such a crazy yes. thing to do, you know? Um, and it's hard. It's really hard for some people to, and especially with the shortage of black donors, the shortage of other BPOC individuals. And, you know, it, it can be hard. But I think, yeah, for, for us, we were able to find somebody who, who closely resembled me and had a very similar profession and interest and personality. And it seemed just like the perfect, perfect right. fit. And so you both agreed. Yeah. And so. That's important. That's important. Good. No arguments about it. Yeah. There was, there was no discrepancy on that. <laughs> It, and it was it was amazing how straightforward it was because you know you put in all your preferences right um, and then the first sperm bank that we looked at nobody met the preferences on the second one three donors met our our preferences and it was it was literally like we both just knew wow. like that was our donor fantastic it was a really cool experience yeah that's great but the both of you agreed who would carry who would use their eggs and there was that was easy enough and both of you felt settled with that yes yes we did you know and that's it's kind of a fun thing like being in partnership with somebody who decisions. And I'm not saying that all of our relationship is easy. That's not at all what I'm saying, because that's not true. But um, as far as decisions go between us, the way that our minds kind of operate, we tend to be very in sync with those kinds of like the big things like that. So yeah, luckily we, we, uh, we agreed on that. And how did you guys feel about the openness question? How do you feel about it now? You know, that's sort of all those those ideas about openness and donor siblings. And so that's a, a really good question because I think that going into the prospect of you know, raising donor conceived kids, I don't think we really understood what that means. I, I don't think a lot of people do honestly kind of going into, you know, you think that you, you want to start a family and for same sex couples, um, or for couples who don't have, you know, both egg and sperm between them, the two, you kind of know that you're going to need, need a little extra help, but you don't, I, I don't think that I, or we, Amanda and I really understood what that meant. And so, you know, we heard about, you know, donor sibling registries. We heard about even like donor sibling meetups and stuff. And our initial then, you know, I'm talking like 2017, 2018, when we were just like forming our ideas, it felt different and it felt a little sure. uncomfortable because that, that's that what I didn't have it. We didn't have a frame of reference yeah. for it. Right. And so one thing that as we started looking into, you know, donor conception, one thing that we started listening and we started listening to people who are donor conceived or, you know, just different stories. And what we realized is that we're basically entering a subculture, like we're becoming a part of a community and that community is so 
incredible and unique, and it has been flawed by the industry in so many ways. And yet it's so like the people and the fibers are just so beautiful and, and resilient and just lots of good stuff. And so all of that to say that, um, we have really just dove in. Is that oh. right? Right. Tense of the word mm-hmm. right in, you wow. know, and saying like, okay, well, so we realized that, you know, we needed an open ID disclosure donor. We needed to be talking with our kids about being donor conceived and what that means. We need to talk about them, about their genetics with them. You know, we initially, and actually Lisa, I think maybe it was when we met with you for the live I don't know, is it a year yeah, or least. so ago? I think that we still hadn't connected oh, to donor mm-hmm. siblings, right? I think so. I think that we were like, oh, we're kind of going to let our kids, you know, show us the way. But again, like what what it means and like being a part of, you know, this community is that we're listening. And what we're hearing is that the more information that you give to your kids, the more community that you surround your kids with, the better. And so we've connected with donor siblings. I think we've connected with nine donor siblings at this point. Yes. It's been so fun and cool, not in person yet, but, but just, you know, through social and, and stuff. And it's so fun. And, and I just feel like, you know, our kids don't live close to other cousins or, but, you know, we have a lot of, we have a ton of chosen family. We have a million aunties, a million cousins, you know, but it's like the more that we can surround them with the better. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we talk with them about their donor siblings. We've got their donor siblings, you wow. know, Christmas cards up on the wall. And that's been a really fun piece to just kind of grow with. That's amazing. Wow. That's incredible, Lauren. Well, I'm sure everybody will be really interested in hearing about that as you both went through this. I mean, it can be for, you know, naturally it can feel a little uncomfortable at first. Like you're thinking about, I'm choosing, you know, and you're in a situation where unfortunately we can't make babies with two eggs yet. I think we're going to get there, but we're not there yet. So you have to choose a stranger and the stranger's genetics for your the most private part of your world and to create you know, your child. And that can feel uncomfortable to start. And then there's this whole other world of people out there. And all you want to do is get pregnant in the beginning and have your baby, right? And so it's, I think it's natural to kind of for people to to hesitate or to to struggle with it, and I think that needs to be appreciated. Also, it's I think a hard process to kind of go through, and this whole evolution of getting to a place where you feel comfortable with it, and then now you're you're taking the step of connecting with siblings, which is huge and not always easy to do. But I give you a lot of credit to kind of venture out into this world um, because that's, you know, that's really a, a big deal. Does it feel like you're connecting with other children who are your children's siblings? Or do you feel like you have a connection with the parents? Or how's that kind of evolving? Oh, I love that question. Um, I would say both. You know, I would say that it's, you know, we look at donor siblings and we are like, oh, we, you know, we see tr- traits of our children, both of the, and, you know, different of the siblings. And um, it's so neat to see that, mm-hmm. you know, and to, to know like how close in age they are and, you know, just open and excited about any kind of 
you know, connection that they want to establish and maintain throughout their life. You know, it's just exciting. Um, but also, you know, having connected with the parents and, and I'll say moms, cause I don't, yeah, I don't think we've made any father connections right now. Um, but that has been really, really fun too. You know, it, it, it feels honestly to me, and this is just me. I, I don't know how Amanda feels about this, but I feel like they're all like my nieces and nephews. Mm. Like that's the kind of like familial connection I feel to my kids' wow. donor siblings. It's like, they're all just like, they're mm-hmm. like mine, you they're know? Family. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so much. And, and maybe that's also because, you know, being a queer person, you know, my concept of family is so, it's more about like that feeling of like, comfort and community and togetherness than less and so much less about biology, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just like, yeah, I I just, yeah, I just feel like they're family. It's so great. (laughs) It's different too. You know, you don't think I I've just never had that kind of a connection before. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because they are chosen, but they're still genetic genetically connected. So that's amazing. Someone was on the podcast before and she said, I think it's so amazing that all of us chose the same guy. You know, we all have this in common, even though we're all different. Mm. And so, you know, what what causes one person to choose a donor might be different than what causes somebody else to choose a donor. And so I think that's um, kind of interesting. But so you you feel like you'd like to get the kids that's together so or what are your plans? You're just going to communicate with the parents or yeah, totally. I think that we, I mean, everybody's pretty young right now. I think everybody is under the age of six for podcast listeners. So our, our kid, our kids are two and a half years old and then eight, well, nine months. Um, Malachi's nine months old today. And so our kids are very young, but, and yet, yes, like we would love to get together, you know, be pretty spread out all the way up from Alaska to Texas and in between. And so, but we are, we've definitely been talking about it at some point. It'll be fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. And were both you and Amanda on the same page about this? Yes, we are. Yeah, isn't that fun that like, we've just had so much of our process together. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make her out. Did you watch Lisa? And, and there's no reason why you would need to watch this, but ultimatum queer love. Did, no. Did you see no. the show? Okay. From a sociological perspective, you, you will find it interesting, but also for like, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, it was like, you know, any kind of media representation that has us in it is just so exciting. You know, a show that has queer cast and, you know, especially like reality TV is so fun. And so, you know, there are a bunch of queer couples on this show and people were saying kind of conversations about this is, is straight people who watched the show were saying that, wow, these lesbian couples talk, their communication is just like amazing. You know, and also wild because the show is, you know, it's a show. Right. It needs to be entertaining. Yes. And yet also, you know, the the amount that lesbian couples communicate. And so I'm not, I'm not going to venture to speak for all lesbian couples, but I will say that I feel like one thing in our relationship is like our love 
for communication. And so all of these bits and pieces that the movement that Amanda and I have made together about being open to what it means to be raising donor-conceived kids has really been kind of like a symbiotic experience, you know, sharing a lot together and moving together. And I don't feel like there's been any big discrepancy. And I'm also not suggesting that we're perfect. <laughs> I'll make that clear. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's been a huge discrepancy in this journey that we've been on specifically. That's been really That's amazing. wonderful. It's so fantastic. And do you guys both feel like, okay, we're going to have two when we're done or you're thinking about more kids? <laughs> so it's, it's a good question. We have gone back and forth a lot. I think I mentioned that I have always, you know, dreamed of having a host of children. And Amanda has always thought that she wants to have two. But while I was pregnant with Malachi, our second, she changed her tune and she said, well, what if we do another stimulation cycle? Because we don't have any more embryos. However, we do have one more vial of sperm. And so she changed her tune. She said, what if we do another um, stimulation cycle and go for, this is what she said. She said, what if we just transfer two embryos and go for twins? Wow. And I was like, whoa, you just <laughs> went from two to four. Like, yeah. I'm not opposed to it, but that's a really big yeah, shift. that is a big shift. So you'll see. It will, yes. To be determined. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy having TBD, but also like having kids that are 22 months apart has been a lot. Like what I'm finding, you know, I, I stay at home with them and I see clients on off hours when Amanda is with the kids. And so that's one thing that I've realized too of like, you know, for trying to find a balance, um, there, there is none. There's none when you have children this small, you know, you know, a toddler who needs all of your like emotional, spiritual energy, a, yeah. a baby who needs <laughs> oh, your physical. Yeah. And like your nutrition, like, you know, Malachi needs so much of me there. And so I just feel very like my heart is full, but my body and my, all of me is very depleted, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot. And so the having, yes, having kids that are that far or that close in age, I think that we're going to just wait a little bit longer. In mm -hmm. fact, I think if we're going to do a surrogacy pregnancy, a surrogate pregnancy, I think is what I am probably going, I would like to be a surrogate. I'll say that. Oh my you goodness. know, I'm, I'm going wow. through application process right now. So, so that first, and then, and then maybe another pregnancy, maybe we'll go for two, maybe we'll just go for one, totally TBD. Oh my goodness, Lauren, that's incredible. Well, you would be an amazing surrogate. And as you know, there is a, a really, really big need for really good surrogates and there's a long waiting list and a lot of people struggling. So that would be a gift to the whole community. That would be amazing. Oh, yeah, really great. That's so yeah. nice. Thank you. That's so nice. Well, I'm happy to talk to you about it anytime because this is, a, you know, it's a, it's also an area that I work in, you know, and often it's definitely a place where um, there's, so more, there's more help needed. So that would be amazing. But I, I guess I was also wondering about how you manage um, donor conversations. You know, there's so many different ways that people are handling issues about you know, privacy versus secrecy and how do I, how comfortable do I feel since your children look biracial, 
right? There's really no way for a stranger to know who's genetically connected. So you could or could not tell. It's, you know, you could decide to tell some people and other people. How did you guys make that decision? We are always talking to our kids about how they were conceived. There's a book called How, I think it's called How Babies Are Made. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's a fantastic book. So we, we, we read this book often. There's several books, you know, that we read often. And, you know, we talk to Judah. So our oldest Judah loves <laughs> to talk about how babies are made and how you need a sperm and an egg and, you know, what goes into making it and, and who has what. And it's just, just amazing what he knows and what he can pick up on. And we really wanted him to never have to have this like moment of being like, what? I'm, this is how I was made. You know, we really wanted him to just feel so this is just normal yes, of course. information. Right. Yeah. And it is normal. Um, it is normal, but it's different from other people. Right. Yeah. And other kids might not know that it's normal. And mm-hmm. so I think the the way that we talk to him about it, and, and obviously Malachi too, but he's littler. He's there. And so we we just love talking to him about how they're, you know, we showed him pictures of the donor. We talked to him about how the donor kind of looks like mommy. And, you know, we used mama's egg and the donor's sperm and the same sperm that made you also made her, you like your donor sister or, um, you know, we, and, and obviously Malachi, they're 100% biologically related. Our two sons are. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if I, if that's clear as mud, except that we, we literally just tell him everything. And that sometimes, you know, we'll, we talk about, you know, our friend recently had a baby. And so we talked about, well, how did they have a baby? Well, you know, his, mommy and his daddy, they, they already had both the sperm and the egg. And so they just put the sperm in the mommy and they had, you know, yes. then they of were course. able to have a baby. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so for him, he's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. And we all know that's the best thing for children. Right. But that's not the same as your neighbor or the guy in the supermarket or the, per- you know, the person in, you know, the head of the PTA. That's true. That's so true. Yeah. And like you said, our children very much so look like both of us. And so it might be confusing for, you know, people who are looking at us like, oh, can did you two really just make these two children without help? But we do, we are, you know, explaining things to strangers. Like we will be, I'll be checking out I love to use this story because it it literally happens to me all the time. I'll be checking out at the grocery store, have two kids in the buggy, and somebody will say, oh, they must get their curls from their daddy, you know? And well, now my oldest can understand what's happening. And so, well, you know, I used to be able to choose when and if I come out to people, but, you know, now with children, obviously, like, well it's his story. It's their story of conception. Mm-hmm. And it's also how I talk about it as my child's parent to this person is going to make a difference. And the confidence and the information that I share to this person, oh, he's two and a half, right? He loves to talk about how he was made. So I'm not necessarily worried about him being mad about it yet. Although we might <laughs> talk about him being like, why do you have to talk about 
how I was made everywhere we go. But anyways, I will, I'll undoubtedly respond to the cashier, you know, oh, well, they get their curls from their mama and I carried their, you know, I'm mommy. And so they did get their curls from her. We did reciprocal IVF and, you know, whatever, just kind of carry on the conversation that way and confidently so that, so she knows and, you know, that kids know. But yeah, and, and we do live in a fairly diverse area here in, you know, the, the um, DC metro area. And so that is, is nice. And yet I feel like it's always a developing thing, you know, of how people talk to us and engage with us about our family, you know, because I'm with the kids often and, you know, that looks a certain way. Whereas, you know, if sometimes when Amanda has the kids, she's not treated the same way that I am treated when she has the kids. At least Judah looks exactly like her. You know, it's not that anybody's treating her like a nanny, that people don't have the same gushy mom conversations with her as they do with me. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Very much so. What do you think that is? Oh, I, I definitely think it's our presentation. You know, I present as, as we talk about approachability and, and being a white person. Um, so like a white feminine person. I don't necessarily look gay. Whereas Amanda, Amanda's black. Amanda presents more androgynous. Amanda and I talk a little bit how people act more intimidated by her, not really knowing and, and, on, and honestly not really treating her like the mom hmm. either. So it's so interesting. Amanda might have something to say about that. And I, I, but I think like Amanda is more just like, yeah, that's how people treat me. You know, like it's kind of like how she, it's just a question. It's very interesting. So you think that people are kind of put off and they don't know what to make of it. And so they don't approach her? Yes. And I think like the same exact conversation or the same exact moment that I would have checking out at a store or in passing people will be really friendly and sweet, you know, with us and with the kids, you know, and then they'll talk to me about like, oh, I remember when my kids were that age, you know, um, that's so, you know, whatever else. Amanda will have a similar conversation where people will engage with the children and be very sweet and complimentary with the kids, but not necessarily have a, a reminiscing or like what I say, like the gushy mom moments with her. Hmm. So whether it's race or whether it's queerness mm -hmm. that they see, whatever it is, that intersectionality there, it's different. Hmm. That's so interesting because, you know, even, you know, even in the world that we live in where we think we can feel like any, anything goes in, you know, a big cosmopolitan area that nobody would bat an eyelash there's still this, there's still racism, there's still homophobia, there's still, it's still out there. And certainly now, I mean, I think, you know, our polit political climate is kind of elevated to that quite a bit, unfortunately, but that's, that's really amazing. And what about when you're both together? When we are both together, we are most always recognized as a couple and recognized as a family. Hmm. And the reason I said most always at first is because we have had moments where people have said, you know, do you want two, two checks or one? And we're like, one, please, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
but 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 have never you know so some of the questions that we do see other uh, same same sex couples getting we haven't as much received of like oh who's the mom or like are you guys sisters right. or you know some of those things we we don't get we don't get those. And again, maybe it's a geographic thing, but um, I think, you know, I do think that part of it has to do with the fact that um, you can see the queerness, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, you mm-hmm. know. You- that does sound right, and they, that people feel differently. It's not as confusing for them. Um, but it does mm-hmm. sound like, you know, even in this cosmopolitan area, and I think for listeners to to hear about wherever they are out in the country, out in the world, that this sort of confusion, difficulty, people having trouble with really identifying, you know, how they're feeling about something or just being able to feel comfortable still exists everywhere in some regard. And so, you know, even though we've come very far in reproductive medicine and inequality, we're, we're still so far behind. Um, clearly, you know, we still have so far to go and that's, that's tough. That's, that's really tough, Mm -hmm. but it's so beautiful that you're, um, that you're so open with your children and that you guys feel like you share all this information with them and about their donor. And they, you know, it's this young age, they're so well educated already about their histories. They feel very comfortable in their own skin, which is so fantastic. You know, and and that has really been our hope. One thing as we've been talking, I, I was reminded of why we as same-sex couples or in the LGBTQ community feel so protective over our families, right? Like kind of the initial approach to family building that I shared. Because once upon a time, when, when I was coming out and when I was kind of wading through some of the initial waters with my family, because I, part of the conversation was, and when I have children, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? And the, the response from this family member is, and the father, blah, 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 blah. Like, and using the child will never have two mothers because, you know, two women can't make a baby, you know, the child will have a mother and a father and, you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of this language that's just hurtful and silly. So having had to battle that so hard initially to just like create space for me to one, come out as a lesbian, but then secondarily be able to build a family, right? Like fighting or retorting against that kind of ideology was a part of my story. And I think as a part of so many of people who are in the LGBTQ plus community, part of our stories, right? And so then realizing in donor, donor conception world conversations, right? That like, it is actually important to recognize paternal genetics, you know, and some families and some parents do even use the word father. And we're not opposed to that at all. We're like, you know, anything's on the table, right? But I think that I just maybe want to recognize that like, that is why I think so many of us in the LGBTQ plus community have been resistant to having, you know, open or ID disclosure donors and have, you know, been resistant to engaging in some of these other aspects of what it means to be raising donor conceived kids is because we've had to work so hard 
to just create space for our own selves and our own families at the onset, you know? And then it feels also good to go back, you know, me personally and go back and say, well, you know, my, my, my children do have a biological father, you know, there's nothing, I don't feel inferior by saying that as an important part of their story, you know, but not really a part of my relationship, right? right? Yes. You know, but, but it is kind of those nuances, you know, while we're here talking about donor conception, I just think like, it's just so, I guess, important to be just listening and moving with this information and for the sake of our children, right? Yes. But I I think also it's, and I hear what you're saying, and I think everyone who's out there can really appreciate this. You know, if you're in a queer relationship, those are such important elements. But I think that for everyone, heterosexual people who have infertility problems, it's a struggle for them to accept using a stranger's genetics because it's a death of their own dream, right? And for single parents, sometimes they feel like, gosh, it's a shame. Like, I just wish I could do this on my own, right? There's, you know, it's it's this very personal experience of building your family and then incorporating somebody who's a stranger into that, which I think is a process regardless of who you are and does take time. And I think it does get easier as your children grow, as you feel more fully formed as a family, as you feel, you know, you're getting your, you know, your legs underneath you and feeling strong as a parent. And it is a little bit easier than to say, okay, you know, we can start to kind of open our eyes a little bit more to the donor and to siblings. And I think that that has to be appreciated too. There's a lot of controversy and discussion about including the donor more, including the donor more, which I hear, but I think it's also important to understand all these feelings that we're talking about that are so important in the evolution of coming to this place. I mean, it, you know, there's already been an experiment with two male mice where they've had a baby. So at some point we're going to have, you know, same sex couples have, yeah, have having children on their own, but it is a difficult thing when you can't do that. I mean, that would be an ideal circumstance, right? And there is also, as you said, there's no mm-hmm. representation. We don't have, you know, gay families in the White House yet. We don't have superheroes with donor-conceived children, right? We don't have, there's so much to absorb, I think, that people don't even, you know, that it's hard to even process and appreciate and get to before we even kind of get to that next step. So I hear you, Lauren, but I also, and I really appreciate everything you're saying, but I think it's, it's important to kind of recognize for the parents, it's an evolution, right? It just is, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that point too, because, you know, we talk about like the, the grief process and there is, you know, somewhat of when, when a LGBTQ person is, is coming out to themselves, there is somewhat of a, of a grief uh, process or, you know, the stages of grief that you, you go to or the stages of identity development and what it might be. And so oftentimes for people who have really wanted to establish families, and I, I, this is nothing new for mm-hmm. you, Lisa, you know, I'm just, this is where my mind goes. It's like, you know, for people who really wanted to have kids, there can be a, a grief over a loss of that dream or the changing of that dream, like knowing that that might look different, that between, you know, myself and my forever love, if that's what they want, you know, to create kids that that might may or may not be possible, but is something that oftentimes a person in the LGBTQ plus community 
yes. does that yes. initially with their own process. And that whereas, you know, a heterosexual couple who has tried, who's been through their ringer has gone, you know, has mm-hmm. done everything to try to conceive between the two of them and are realizing that they need to use donor specimen of some kind, that the the grief process then happens right then and there. And it can be so intense at that point, right? Whereas many... And for single people, it's different too. So different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I think in all of these cases... It's, it's, yeah, it's just it's amazing. amazing. But in all of these cases, yeah. even though they're different, you still need to use the stranger's genetics to form the most important thing, the most private thing, the most sacred thing in your life, which is, you know, building your family. And so I think for varying degrees and in different ways, it can be hard, but I think it's fantastic that you embrace it and that you're moving forward and that your kids feel really comfortable with who they are and that you're meeting these siblings and, you know, it's, it's great. It's really exciting. Yeah. We're just learning a lot. It is, it's fun. That's great. That's great. So I think this is a good place for us to to wind down then, Lauren. It's been so great talking to you. Okay. And so nice seeing you again. I feel like it's been such a nice, casual, really comfortable conversation. And I'm so grateful to have you back here and to talk to me about all of these things that I think will be so helpful for people to hear. And I know that there's some of this information is out there already, but it's good for people to really hear personal experiences because it really means so much when you're, as you said, communities, everything. So I appreciate you sharing your story and your family mm. story. And is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners and our viewers about um, your journey or about where to reach you? Oh, that's so nice. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me as um, on your podcast. We we just are very, very honored to be here. And yeah, I mean, I think that like, if there are any parting words, it would be to just dive into what it means to, to you know, as parents, that's what we do, right? Like we love and support our kids. Like we want nothing more than to just love them more and give them, set them up for success even more. And so I think, you know, for people who are listening and who are looking into donor conception or who are raising donor conceived, just like die, donor conceived kids, just dive in. And, you know, I think it's fun to start when they're little because then you get better at talking about it, right? Like when, they're a little teeny tiny and you're reading stuff. I'm talking like, you know, six months old, whatever, like start reading them stories, start talking to them about their story, because by the time they can talk back to you about it, you know, you're going to be really good and comfortable at talking about it. And it's, it's literally so much fun to hear what comes out of your kid's mouth and where they want to go. And like, oh, this is another thing. Like, this is super rambly, but like my dream is for, you know, if anybody wants to be mean to our kid, you know, well, you don't have a dad. Well, well, you don't have two moms, you know, like that's what I, that's what I would love our kids to just be so comfortable and so confident in their own identity to just be able to throw it right back and just keep moving forward. And anyway, so that, that's, I guess where, where my heart is and yeah, thanks for listening. This is so fun. And how can people reach you? Oh yeah, we're on um the our handle is the two mom underscore browns on Instagram. And yeah, that's where okay. we are. Terrific. Come find us. 
<laughs> we, we listen though. We, we are like having two kids. Like I said, two kids with 22 months apart has like changed our vibe. Like we like love keeping it real. We love posting and just like being a part of the community. If you guys have questions, if you want to you know, chat, like send us messages because we're not like posting all the time. We're trying, but we're just over here living life. So that's, that's where we're at too. Just trying to get in the shower once in a while, right? Yes. It's a tough, tough time. Yes. Yes. It's hard to have two little ones. So everyone can find you on Instagram, Lauren, right? The two mom underscore Browns on Instagram. Yes. The two mom Browns. Right. Okay. (laughs) So everyone look for Lauren. She is so generous with her time, but as she said, underwater with the kids. And I think you'll learn a lot just from looking at her posts because they're fantastic and It's been a pleasure to have you on, Lauren. So thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. I hope this was helpful. And please subscribe because that's how we keep going. And please sign up for our newsletter because you'll get lots of good information. You'll learn about podcasts that are up and coming and lots of other things that might be of interest to to you. So thanks again.